0: I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Think back to what it would have been. Yes, and if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to raise your hand. We have plenty of extras. We'll be glad to give you one or loan you one. Think back to when God first created Adam and Eve. What a privilege it was to be able to walk with God on a regular basis, to be able to ask him questions. Have you ever ever had that longing? I mean, I've had a longing at times to, to, to say, "I'd love to just sit and have a conversation with Jesus." Pastor John used to have a, a cartoon that he would put on his door. It was kind of a, a contemporary idea. It was called "Coffee with Jesus," And it would have Jesus sitting in a robe and it would have a businessman having a conversation. But ever since God expelled Adam and Eve from the garden, we don't have that direct line where we can talk to him and say, hey, what do you think about this, God? What should I do? But God in his mercy has, has done wonderful things for us by providing us the word of God. It gives us direction. Without this book, no one could ever step into heaven. The Bible says, from childhood, the scriptures make you wise to salvation through faith in Christ. But in addition to, to finding our relationship with God by his grace through faith, which if you're visiting, that's the most important thing. We want you to to find God through Jesus Christ and know your sins are forgiven. But once you have that, then like Paul, we we, we ought to be looking up and saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? Now, this is where it gets sticky because life is not all black and white. Life is, 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 is not a series of this is always right, this is always wrong. But there are black and whites, and that's important. So God knew that his people needed to be reminded of his word. And so in the Old Testament, he raised up prophets and priests. And one of the primary roles of priests, in addition to offering sacrifices, was to teach the people the word of God. I'm not talking about priests as we think of them now, Old Testament priests. Malachi chapter 2 says this, the lips of a priest should speak knowledge and men should seek instruction... From his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. And so, God, in His kindness, has always seen fit to raise up what we would call spiritual leaders. They're not better; they're not more, you know, superior in their status with God. But their job is to walk before God and to share God's word and to tell people, "This is what the Bible says." And whether they're mad, sad, glad, or feel had, tell them the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And throughout history, we've seen that even in the Old Testament, there were times that people didn't want to do that. They wanted to just kind of tell people what would make them happy. And so in Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, God said to him, those priests who are giving bad info, he said, if they had stood in my presence, they would have, they would have given my people the word of the Lord and turned them back from iniquity. But we fast forward and we go, okay, we're in the, we're in the 21st century. We're trying to figure out what's right and wrong. And what, what I want you to think about, is that God has allowed us to seek out pastoral advice. And so as we read this passage, it's really fascinating that Paul is going to say, look, this is what the Lord commands, but now I'm I'm going to give you my advice. I want to encourage you to think about this. Some of you rarely seek advice. But there's times when it's very wise to seek advice. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, it says, in multitude of counselors, there is safety. So there are a lot of decisions that we have to make in which the Bible doesn't have a commandment from God. But this falls into the category of what we would call wisdom. And some people are more biblically wise than others. that's, That's something that we should be striving for. So what we're going to, I love the end of this passage because Paul is going to give us a pattern of how to give advice and even how to receive advice, pastoral advice, and it's on the subject of marriage. Now, let me remind you that in 1 Corinthians 7, this whole chapter is not primarily Paul's handbook on marriage, but he's giving pastoral advice on a very specific issue, and that is people were obsessed with changing their status right? And, and in the context, they were trying to change their marriage status, but that wasn't the only thing. They were trying to change their slave status or their religious status, their social status. And so we learned last week that God was instructing Paul to teach them. The main thing should not be a desire to change your status, but, but really to have a grateful service to Christ. That should be our focus. Now, I couldn't help but think before we look at the passage today, Pay attention to our society. If you haven't kind of been alarmed by the idea of how many people are are trying to change their gender, I'm gonna suggest that this is just another example of people being deceived into thinking, if I change status, I'm gonna be happy. And at the end of the day, one of the things that sociologists are finding, uh, there was a study at John Hopkins, and they canceled their transgender program because Part of the study was that they're finding that people are no happier. They're not finding what they were looking for in that. And so, as young people, uh, my wife was sharing with me an article she read in World Magazine. It was written by a Christian young lady who as a young lady was in rebellion against her parents. She was miserable and so, and so she went through a sex transformation only later to realize that that didn't solve her problems and she was just as miserable. And as she came back to, to the Lord, she wrote this very helpful article to sort of help us to engage with people. So, so as we're engaging with our kids and, and they're facing these real questions, we can't just say to them, don't do that, that's wrong, but to try to help them think through what is it that we think that that's going to do. Well, the same things true of marriage. You know, what, what is it that makes you think that if you get married, you're suddenly going to be super happy? What is it make, that would make you think that if you could only trade your spouse, then you would be happy? And so the last part of this chapter, Paul's going to deal with the issue of singleness. And what we're going to learn today is he's going to suggest that singleness is in some ways better, but not always preferable. So as we outline this passage, we're going to find that there are a number of reasons why Paul's going to say, my opinion is that singleness is better, but it's not always preferable. This is not a right or wrong. This is not a black or white. So since Benjamin already prayed for us, let's get started, and we're going to begin in verse 25. He says in verse 25, now concerning virgins. Now, some Bibles say unmarried, but, but the Greek word here is parthenos, the same word that's used of the virgin Mary. So it does mean virgins, but here he's, he's probably primarily speaking here about um, young ladies who have not yet gotten married, okay, unmarried young women, and, and there's some interesting cultural studies about that. For example, it, it isn't that old, it hasn't been going on this long that we've encouraged people to wait, wait, wait to get married. Wait till you're, wait till you can afford it, wait till you're 25, 26. When in many cultures, People get married way younger than that. Where, where did that idea come from that we should wait, 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 wait till, you're, till you, you know, have your first house and you have that? Christianity Today has an article on that and, and and a challenge to rethink that. What kind of temptations and difficulties might might we be imposing on our on our children by saying wait till you're 25, 28 to get married? And then I remember having a conversation with an unbeliever. What is it about them kids at your Bible college? They want, to get, they want to get married so young. Why don't they just wait till they're 28, 29? I said, yeah, well, here's the difference. I said, you're, you're, you're fine with fornicating until you can get married, right? But if you want to do it God's way, that's not an option. So, I'm not suggesting here that we should all encourage our kids to get married at 18. But Paul's going to give some advice on people that are Wanting to get married, or perhaps here, some commentary suggest that these are. And I clearly think this is going to come up. We don't. They didn't have engagement back then, but they had a contractual agreement called betrothal in the Jewish culture. Part of this section is going to be, well, what do I do if I'm already in quote engaged? Now I'm a Christian. So let's start in verse 25. He says concerning. Virgins, and we're going to assume here these are unmarried young ladies, but he's going to say this t- to men as well. I have no command of the Lord. Now earlier he said I do have a command of the Lord. Divorce is wrong unless it is a biblical divorce. Remember he said this is not my opinion; this is the Lord's opinion. However, here he says when it comes to getting married, I, I'll, I don't have a, the Lord didn't give a commandment, but he said. I'll give my opinion. But then he says something really interesting. He says, now, why would my opinion be more valuable? He goes, because by the mercies of the Lord, I have been found trustworthy. Now, is that, is that like a subtle way of bragging? Have you ever noticed how people will say things like this? I'm not bragging, but I'm just saying. Do you know how awesome I am? I go, just because you use the phrase, you're just saying. It's still bragging. So when Paul would speak like this, what he, he, would, he would go back and forth to say, yeah, I worked hard. Yeah, yeah, I've got something to say here, but, but it's really God's grace. First Corinthians 15, 10, he says, I labored more than all the apostles, but yet not really me. It was the grace of God in me. And so think of what he's saying here. He, he didn't say as a, as, a, as a godly apostle who suffered much for Christ my opinion matters. He goes, as one who by the mercy, of, I've experienced such extraordinary mercies from Christ that have so changed my life that, that I think I, I, I probably have a little more than two cents on this matter. So think of your own experience. Have you experienced mercy from the Lord that has brought transformation into your life? And, 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 and in that merciful transformation of your life, as you grow in God's grace, you will be able to to provide better advice, wise advice. And so sometimes Paul would be staggered by the fact that God would use him. In 1 Timothy 1, he says, I was, the w- I was the worst persecutor, but I found mercy from the Lord that he might demonstrate in me his perfect patience so that I could be an example to others. So he goes, I'm going to give my advice, but understand that I, the only reason I could put one word of good advice is because God has been very merciful to me. Anybody else feel that way? I'm glad that God's been merciful to me. So, verse 26, he says, let me give my my opinion then, and here's the kicker. I think he's going to say this, singleness is preferable, but optional. He says, I think then that it's good in view of the present distress that it is good for man to remain as he is. In other words, if you're asking for my advice off, you know, this isn't the command of the Lord, my opinion is, I think singleness in this setting is preferable. Now, I I hate to do this, but I have to qualify here because technically it's bigger than singleness because there's a whole lot of people who are single, but they're sleeping around like it's their job, okay? So I'm going to change the word here. I'm going to say celibacy, not just singleness, but single celibacy is preferable. You go, well, why, Paul? I thought it was not good for a man to be alone. So what he's going to do for most of the rest of this chapter is explain reasons why he thinks in this time it's probably better to stay single. You're like, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to stay single. He's not trying to tell you that you can't get married. All right, let's see what he says. The first reason why singleness is preferable but optional is he's going to tell us, let me change my page here, is because of the present difficulties. So let's look. He says, I think that it's good in view of the present distress. Now that particular phrase has, has brought all kinds of discussion for years among the church because it's like, what's he talking about? So there's probably two primary options here. He could be speaking about the present distress that was being experienced solely by the Corinthian community. I mean, we're in a time of distress because of the COVID and we've lost a couple people. Did you know that the Corinthian church was in a time of distress and we're losing a couple people? You know how they were losing people? Dying. 1 Corinthians 11 says, you know, the way you guys have been handling communion and flagrantly disregarding the body of Christ, he says, some of you are weak and sick and a number of you have died. So, so as they're thinking about their Corinthian context, they're like, Art, how's your church doing? Well, it feels like we're under the judgment of God. A number of our own community have died because of the sin in our church. So that could be what Paul means by the present distress. But more likely is that it's the larger experience of suffering that the church was undergoing. So let, let, let's kind of put this in his context. When this letter was written persecution was not an all-out, you know, pedal to the metal. That came later, probably around the, the 90s or so, when the emperors just flat out said, okay, now you have to worship me or you're going to be killed. And that's when the book of Revelation comes in, where, where there's this tremendous clash between culture and Christianity. But for now, the, the, the roots of persecution were rising, right? People were suffering for their faith. In fact, when you read the book of Hebrews, the author says, don't you remember back when you were first converted? He said, some of you went to prison. Some of you have your, had your possessions confiscated. So, so probably what Paul is saying here is that, you know, one of the, the advantages of staying single is in this present setting in which we're going to undergo persecution, it's just, it just makes sense that it would be easier if you could stay celibate and single. And I get that. Like, for example, I have astronomical respect for some of my friends who have moved their families down into Kensington. Like, I think that's, that's amazing for a Christian brother to take his family and move to the heart of the hood. I mean, a very, very dangerous place and raise their kids there because they want to bring the gospel to those people. Personally, I would think if I felt the Lord leading me to, 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 to minister in Kensington, and who feels the Lord leading them, right? Everybody feels the Lord leading them to plant a church in Hawaii, right? But, but the point would be, it would make sense, and I've thought about this. I would be far quicker to say, I'll go down there as I was a young man, but as I thought, raising my daughters there? What, what faith and courage for people who do that? And so it just makes sense for Paul to say, you know, if you're, if you're If you're celibate, you don't have to worry about protecting your wife or protecting your kids in view of the present circumstances. Now, would that be today? I don't think so, not in American culture. Although, don't we all go, man, (laughs) I would hate to be a kid growing up now, right? I mean, (laughs) maybe we will reach a point where we'll be telling American Christians, you know. I think right now it's so terrible in this country that if you can stay celibate, I'd advise you to do that. But I could suggest that probably in some countries like Syria and Lebanon, as Pastor Austin and the others are bringing us reports of the, the suffering those Christians are experiencing, that this would have been more relevant, like they would understand what he means by the present distress. All right, so that's the first reason. So, in light of that, he says in verse 27 Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Now, one of the things is kind of, at first, you like, it's a little disturbing to refer to your marriage as bound to a wife, right? And then he says, if your wife leaves you, you're not under bondage. I, I wonder if that's where this whole expression of my ball and chain came from, right? Dang, I'm bound to somebody. Like, I don't think he's, he's, he's intending to project that, that being married is like, dang, I've got to ask my ball and chain. But but there's a sense in which God binds your hearts together into oneness. So when he says in this verse, are you released from a wife? I I don't particularly think that's the best translation. The word literally means loosed. And some suggest he's talking about divorced people. Some would say from uh, widows, you know, you're released from your wife because she died probably he may be talking here about single people who may have broken their betrothal because this word, released from a wife, is never used anywhere else of divorce, okay? But his point is singleness is preferable because of the, the present distress. However, this is where he's saying, look, this is just advice. Look at verse 28. If you should marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin should marry, she has not sinned, but then he's going to throw his advice back there. Yet, such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. Parenting 101. When we are sharing with our kids why they don't think this is a good idea to pursue that option, here's why I don't think you should be doing that, and then they go, well, didn't you do that? And then what do we say? Yeah, and look at the damage it did to me. I'm trying to spare you. I'm trying to advise you that I don't think this is a good road for you to go down. I'm trying to alleviate your pain, and that's the hard thing about instructing our kids, right, is to say to them, I'm trying to save you from trouble. Listen to me. And this is what I think Paul's saying here. He goes, I'm just trying to spare you from unnecessary pain, but let's mark this down. For two Christians who have not been married, because there's lots of other ramifications how they're married, but let's just say two Christians to get married, if they're both professing believers, Paul goes, underline this, you have not sinned, right? So if two 17-year-old kids who are both believers decide to get married, that's not sinful. Now, on the other hand, it might be very stupid, okay? And I mean that. Because in essence, what oftentimes when we're telling somebody, I don't think you should get married right now. It's not because we think it's sinful, but because we think it's harmful. So what we're kind of saying to them is, do you want to enjoy your marriage or do you want to endure your marriage? But at the end of the day, for two Christians to get married, and sometimes we, we, we go like this, right? Like, what were they thinking? That's why here, if you ask us as pastors to do your wedding, we go, provided that you will go through premarital counseling. And we have had people say, no, we don't wanna wait for that. Well, we don't go there, then you're sinning. If you get married and you don't go through, you're sinning, we go, hey, here's our advice, but you're free to marry. If you feel inclined that that's what you're gonna do, we're not gonna tell you you're sinning. So that's the first piece of advice. Here's why, the present distress. The second reason why singleness is preferable is Paul's going to say, because of the urgency of the time in which we're living. Now, this is really interesting. I really, I, I was intrigued by this. Verse 29. So, so, 29 to 31. Here's a second reason why I think you, you should stay single. I say this, brethren, the, the time has been shortened. The time has been shortened. Here's why I think you should stay single, because the time has been shortened. And you go what does he mean by that? And, and I looked this, this up and this particular Greek word has an interesting kind of idea of either l- limiting something or shortening it. So in, in the dictionary, the Greek dictionary said this, we're not certain whether Paul has a divine act of shortening in mind or whether there's no reference intended to a time that was originally longer. Like, <laughs> like think about that. Hey God, what are you doing? I'm working on my calendar. You know, as, as I'm I'm thinking through, you know how you call it history, and history is really history. It's all about me, and and I'm unfolding the plans. And you know, in Psalm 139, when I said, all your days are written, right? Think about that. When God created you, he wrote in a book every day that you would live. So you don't have to worry that you're going to die at the wrong time. You're going to die exactly at the time God planned for it. Now, that doesn't remove human responsibility. So if someone takes their life, you don't go, oh, well, that God did that. But, but what in the world? How can, God, how can the Bible say the time has been shortened as though God's gone? You know, upon further reflection, that's going to take too long. Let me, let me, let me change the date. Please say, you know, save the date. Actually, I changed it. There are these hints in Scripture that are really intriguing, like when Jesus says, unless those days had been shortened, you know, even the elect would have been deceived. Like As we're thinking about God's unfolding of history, when will Jesus come back? One of the ways to think of it is this. When the last elect child of God is called to himself. In fact, I got a letter once from a missionary. I love this. You know how we, we try to come up with new ways to end it? In Jesus, usually if it says, in Jesus love, that usually means, I don't really like you, but <laughs> Jesus loves you because I, you know, <laughs> I'm only kidding. But, but this one said, until the nets are full, what a curious way to, to close your, your, your letter, until the nets are full. But, but knowing that Jesus has already elected and selected who he will save, there will come a day when the last child of God is, 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 is brought into the family of God, and then the end will come. Second Peter tells us he's, he's, not, he's not slow about his promise, but he's not willing for men to perish. Jesus said in Matthew, when this gospel is preached to the whole earth, But what does he mean when he goes, the time has been shortened? Here's why it might be a good idea to stay single, because the time has been shortened. And I have to confess, I'm not real sure. I can't can't say for sure what he means. But, But I think what he's saying here is there's an urgency. There's an urgency. There are some things in life that because Christ is coming back, can, can make things more urgent. Now, again, this is a wisdom issue. I'll give you an example. When I chose to go to seminary, I was advised by some Christians, don't do that. We don't have time for that. Like, you need to get out there. I mean, souls are perishing. Don't go to school, right? The time is too short. And I thank God that I didn't listen to that advice, right? Right? But when Paul says, you know, I think it's wise to be single because time has been short and we at least need to, to grapple with well, what does he mean by this? So, so let's, let's try to read and gather from the context. He says, he, here's what I mean by that. From now on, now that you are in Christ and now that the end of the age has begun. So on God's history calendar, right, as he's unfolding time, the cross is an incredibly important event. Because there's this great radical eschatological timer that's set in motion. From the time that Christ came to earth at God's appointed time and his resurrection, the Bible makes a big deal. We are now in the last days. The clock is ticking. And with anticipation, we should be eagerly expecting the return of Christ in an urgent way that no one in the Old Testament expected it. So, so therefore, in light of the urgency and the imminency that Christ could come at any time, Paul goes, so everything in your life should be, should be re-evaluated in light of this eschatological reality. Jesus is coming again. And you know what? I need to hear that. I need to be told that again because is there anybody here that doesn't know that Jesus is coming again? I don't think so. But I'm telling you, Jesus is coming again. It's almost comical because we have a new Christian come to us and they go, Pastor, guess what? I was reading in the Bible, Maranatha. The Lord is, oh Lord, come, Maranatha. And, and, and so every time you see them, they're like, Maranatha. And in the back of our mind, we're thinking, just stick around with us. You'll become cynical just like us. Yeah, Maranatha. No, yeah, praise the Lord, Maranatha, brother. Jesus is coming, right? And, and in fact, they're not the weirdos, we are. Because we should live with that, that urgency As the Apostle John, at the end of Revelation, said, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But unless I stir my soul in the Word of God, fans of flames, I forget that. So so he goes, look, so because of the the urgency of the age, he goes, here's why I think it would be more prudent to be single. But at the same time, he goes, even if you're not, we still, you and I need to think about this. So look at these, these things that he says. From now on, those who had wives should be as though they had none. Now, some of you ladies are going, my husband is obeying that verse very well. Right? Teach a man to fish. Give a man a fish. You'll feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish. You'll never see him on the weekends. Right? (laughs) What? If you have a wife, you should live like you don't have a wife? And some of you are going, I've been trying to get my husband to stop doing that. I don't think that's what he means, to ignore your spouse. But he's saying, what's most important? Your spouse or your savior? Well, give me another example, Paul. Okay. He says, those who rejoice as though who, they did not rejoice. And those who weep as though they did not weep. So, so you're talking about my, like, just my emotional experiences of life. Like, what do you mean? I, I can't have a lot of fun in this life. And I can't, you know, sometimes just sit and have my little pity party. He goes, yeah, you can but always with one eye on Christ. And then, then now, he's, now he's just flat out meddling because after all, we're Americans and we like our stuff, right? He goes, from now on, he goes, those who buy should be as though they did not possess. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. My wife and I, this week, she, she was doing some she was recovering a chair. Our staple gun isn't working. And I, there's, the, the staple gun we have, one of them old ones, my, my dad passed on to me. They don't make staples like that anymore. So my neighbor loaned me his. It's a, one of those ones that you hammer down like this. You have to hit it. And I'm going, that's not going to work. Because when my wife is trying to hold the corner, like, that's not going to end well, right? <laughs> so it was crazy. I went on Amazon. They go, here's one. And we'll have it at your house tomorrow. Click. And sure enough, it came in one day. I could get a staple gun with with one click. Can you imagine what Paul would have? It was pretty hard to buy then. You actually had to leave the house, get in your chariot, go down to the marketplace. Now he goes, those who buy should be as though they do not possess. Oh, well, yeah, I I understand that. I mean, I'm always over at Cole's returning stuff. That's not what he means by that. (laughs) Uh, This is important. Think about your possessions. He's saying, hold them loosely, right? Are they going to make you happy? No. Are you going to take them with you? No. So let's do some inventory. What would happen today? And I have this, I'm going to include me in it. Hey, Tom, what would happen today if you lost your car? What would happen, Tom, if you lost your... No, my house. Now, wait a minute. What would happen if you lost your retirement? Okay, that's it. That, no. I got my retirement all planned out. God's going... All of your possessions, hold them loosely. And you want to know why? Because we might lose them. And we all need to be reminded of that. The Bible always talks about possessions by saying, they could be here today and gone tomorrow. The Bible says, never fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. The reason why people were jumping out of buildings in the Great Depression when the stock market crashed is because that was their life. If I don't have my money, what's life worth? And I can tell you right now, as Americans, it's awful easy to to find all of our security and our happiness and our possessions. If I'm sick, I got really good insurance. If I'm lonely, I got plenty of money. I can find friends. If I'm bored, I got lots of, you know, discretionary money to buy a new toy or to go on another vacation. And Paul's going, is that really going to make you happy? All right, most painful. What if you take my wife, Lord, or my child? Right? Jesus said, Build your life on the solid rock. So if the storm comes, right, you won't be destroyed. Now it doesn't mean we're like, oh, uh, my wife passed or my, my child passed. Oh, well, you know, case okay, so arousal. No, of course not. We would, we would mourn with, but is our entire happiness and existence found in our stuff, in our possessions, in our family? we all need to uproot all that stuff and say Lord Jesus root my heart in Christ alone because that's the only way it's going to be well with my soul when Satan should buffet and trial should come so there's an urgency to the way all Christians should live single or un- unmarried, or single or married he said so here's my point he said if you use the world don't make full use of it for the forms of this world for the form of this world is passing away so you're like Oh, so what are you saying, Paul? I have to sleep on a hard bed and just eat lousy food because, sheesh, none of this stuff lasts. No! The Bible says God has created all things for us to gratefully enjoy. Go on your trips. Eat your food. Rejoice with your family. Be thankful. Hardly a week goes by that my wife and I don't say, man, I thank God for this house. We have a nice house. It's not, it's not going to win any." mansion awards. But we, I, I love my house. And the book of Ecclesiastes talks about that. You know, just rejoicing in what you have. But all of that within the construct of saying this, but I don't need these things to be happy. And these are not needs. These are privileges. The Bible says having food and covering, we should be content. Everything above that is a blessing. So Paul says, the form of this world is passing away. And I need to remember that. If my focus is just running with the, the rest of the bulls and living in the throng and getting our stuff and paying the bills, and, uh, and Paul goes, this stuff's all passing away. Christians are different. You ever pay attention to the movie The Chosen when they run that thing in the beginning and they got that cool song, and there's all these fish swimming in one direction, but they got a few fish swimming in the other direction. That's us. 1 John chapter 2 says, don't love this world and the things of this world because all that's in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, of life, all of that stuff is going to pass away. And the world is passing away. They're all on the fast track to the lake of fire and they don't even know it and they don't even care. But if we've been brought to Christ, it says but those who do the will of God abide forever. So this is just a good reminder to us as Christians is that we need to reassess our values because the world is passing away. There's an urgency to this age. Well, the third reason why singleness is preferable is I, I made up a new word. Can, can I share it with you? Christofocus. Christofocus. Christofocus is a term that I just came to my mind to, to try to say this. We should every day have our Mind and heart fixed on Christ. And trust me, that doesn't come by accident. So we are exhorted in the Bible, Colossians 3 1. Since Tom, you have been raised with Christ, set your affections on things above where Christ is. Okay, that doesn't happen by accident. That's why we spend time with the Lord so we can so we can lock in our Christo focus. Hebrews chapter 12, since we have this great cloud of witnesses, let's lay aside the things that have come for us, run with patience the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, focus. Every day, early on when I get out of bed, how long till you dial in your focus? Does he even come across your radar? Or is it not till you had three cups of coffee and it's 11 o'clock in the morning? The Bible says, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the The name of Jesus should be praised. So what can I do to keep my focus on Christ? Spiritual disciplines are important, asking God to help us, but I think that's Paul's point here. He's saying, listen, whether you're single or married, the most important thing is is to not be distracted from your Christo focus. How are you doing on that? Because I'll tell you, this, this challenges me So Paul goes, here's why I think it's a good idea to be single. Verse 32, I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And he's divided. And the woman who's unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And I'm saying this for your benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is seemly, to, dis- to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. The opposite of focus is distraction. Now, let me tell you what he's not saying here. Being married is a big distraction. But he said, it can be a big distraction. You know what perhaps was the most convicting part of this passage? He goes, now, think about these single versions. They're, look at verse 34. They're concerned about how they can be holy in body and spirit. Well, yeah, that, that's like a select group of Christians, this, these little nuns. They're all about how holy they can be in their body and spirit. And you know what that text is saying? That should be you, Tom. Your primary concern should be your relationship of undistracted devotion to Christ. And you should be thinking regularly about how you can be holy in your body and and spirit How often do you and I think that way 2 Corinthians 7:1 says this Having therefore these promises beloved let us cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles our flesh and spirit and let us pursue holiness in the fear of God Does that sound like your best life now does that sound like American Christianity as a general rule. This is radical, but it's, but it's what Christ wants and has for us and it can only be done through the Spirit of God as we're in the Word and in community growing and loving each other. And so try to make that a, a, a higher priority in your life that whether you're single or married is your focus on pleasing the Lord. There's all kinds of analogies. Paul uses the military analogy. He goes, if someone's enlisted in the service, he doesn't entangle himself with the stuff horizontally, so he might please the one who enlisted him. So, so let's let's as a church pray for one another, and as we're raising our kids, don't just tell them to be crystal focused. Show them what it means. Show them what it means to have the mind of Christ and to try to constantly be thinking. What would the Lord say about this? What would the Lord want us to do? How does this relate to my relationship with Christ? Good stuff. But lastly, Paul goes, let me me take a pause. He goes, I'm just going to say it again. Singleness, celibacy, they're both okay. Look real quick, verse 36. Now, if anyone thinks that he's acting unbecomingly toward his virgin. Now, I think this might be the worst part of this translation. See the word daughter? That's not in the original. Okay, so literally it says you're acting unbecomingly toward your virgin, right? There's two ways that this passage has been interpreted throughout history. One is, is Paul talking here to fathers about whether to give their daughters in marriage, or is Paul talking to men who are betrothed to a woman? I think it's the second. So in, in, in the older New American Standard, any word that's in italics means it's not in the original. So I don't think he's talking about a dad. I think he's saying here, hey, if you're, if, if you're betrothed and... and you know, you're having trouble controlling your passions, get married. Now, there's, I don't have time to, to develop that, but that's my opinion. Some people think, no, it's just advice to dads whether to give your, your daughter. So think of it in this way if your daughter's, or if, you're, if you're, um, your betrothed wife is a full age, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. And that's where the rub is because. There's different ways to translate that. It could be translated, let them marry. But verse 37, he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart, to keep his own virgin, he'll do well. Meaning if you decide that you're not going to go through with your marriage, point is, both he who gives his virgin in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. But remember, singleness is preferable but optional. So then real quick, Paul goes, I got one more. What if you're an older person? What if you're a widow or widower? You got anything for me, Paul? He goes, as a matter of fact, I do. And this is, I love this. Some of you are widows or widowers and you're trying to figure out, should I remarry? Paul goes, want my opinion? I would. You want Paul's opinion? I do. So this is what he says. He goes, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives But if her husband is dead, she's free to be married. To whom she wishes only in the Lord. Now, first of all, that's radical. Because... Many of you have been told there's only one person out there, and if you don't find them, your life on planet Earth will be ruined. Marry the only person that God has for you. That's dumb. You know why it's dumb? Because that's presuming that every single person gets it right, and they marry the only possible person on planet Earth. Because as soon as one person messes up, the whole house of cards falls down because then they marry the wrong person who then marries the wrong person who's not able to marry that person. So God doesn't just have one person out there, and if you don't marry that person, it's over. He goes, you can marry whoever you want as long as they're Christian. But before you rush to the altar, he says, and by the way, show your kids this verse. Don't show them 2 Corinthians 6. Be not unequally yoked, right? That's why you can't marry an unbeliever because they're going to go, hey, I studied that in the context. That's not about marriage. And you're going to have to go, you know what? You're right, but I got a better one. You're free to marry only in the Lord. It's not optional. It's a sin to marry an unbeliever if you're a Christian. But here's his, here's his opinion, and we'll close. He says... In my opinion, she's happier if she remains as she is. He goes, all things considered, this is just my opinion, I think you'll be happier. And I've seen it both ways. I've seen people who remarry and are extremely happy. I've seen people who remarried and wish they didn't. Okay? So it's just a thought. And then he says, I think I have the spirit. I think that's what the Lord wants. So let's close in prayer. And let's thank the Lord. That we're bought with a price. That's the big picture. So let's focus on him. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can focus on you. Forgive us for all of our distractions and all of our idols. May we give wise advice. May we receive wise advice. And may we be pleasing to you in Jesus' name. Amen.